Good morning, Calvary. To those of you in the room with me, and those of you uh, watching online or in Heritage Hall, it is uh, an honor to be here. I'm just, I'm just, I need to let you all know something. That walk from the stairs to here is probably one of the most nerve-wracking walks that I've taken in my life. And that music didn't help. <laughs> I mean, it's like setting me up for something like, whoo, okay. need to calm down a little bit after that. Uh, well done. Well done to those who, who made that video. It's uh, pretty cool. Before I get started today, I do want to uh, encourage us that along those lines, sometimes the emotions we arrive with and uh, all the baggage we show up with, uh, whether in this room or at home, can stand in the way. And I would encourage you to take a moment as I begin and introduce what I'm going to talk about to give that to God in this moment and, uh, and be present because I believe that um, there's some pretty cool stuff we're going to talk about today. He's really been uh, speaking to me this week. So, we are in a series that we're calling Make Way, and the idea is that we're going to be taking a look at the kings in the Old Testament as we make way for the King of Kings who comes in the New Testament, that is Jesus. So last week, we are in, in the past we've talked about Saul, who was kind of like the, almost the anti-king kind of the opposite of what a king should be. But this week, we're going to talk about David. Now, we could talk for a long time about David, so I promise I'm not going to talk for too long of a time, okay? Uh, because there's a lot to be said about David. David is the king that we see show up in the lineage of Jesus. If Saul was the anti-king, David is like the guy. And we actually see David's name in the lineage of Jesus in Matthew 1. So if you've ever read Matthew, it's that long list of names. We see him in verse 1, so the, the genealogy of the genesis of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David. Right? So he, these, this guy's connected to David. And then in verse 6, we see Jesse, the father of King David. And then, you know, it keeps going. The interesting thing to me is that Solomon's name is right there. But he doesn't get called King Solomon. He was, and we'll hear about that. But David gets called King David. So what I see is that whatever we think about David, this guy, this is the one. If Saul was the opposite, David is the one we want to think about. And so uh, Charles had mentioned that in Deuteronomy, we heard what a king might look like. We heard um, that he would be an Israelite, which David was, from a town called Bethlehem. And we heard that the king would be chosen, which David was. And actually, the story of David's choosing was one where Samuel, who showed up to do the choosing, thinks it's one person who looks like a king. And God is like, no, 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 it's this one. David didn't look like a king on the outside, but God looks at the inside. So David is the one who's chosen because David's inside is going after God and seeking God. That's the king that gets chosen. And one of the big strands of spaghetti that runs through the biblical narrative is this idea of inside to outside. Inside to outside. Everyone else is going outside and hoping their inside will catch up. So God chooses David. This is the guy on the outside because the inside and we see 
that clearly God's hand is in it because David defeats Goliath, which might be the thing that we know about, right? He slings the stone and defeats Goliath. We also see that David is eventually going to be chased by Saul, right? Basically, it's not Saul's job anymore, but he's going to be chasing David, and David, instead of killing Saul, actually spares Saul's life. I mean, David is the guy on paper. But we're going to pick up today in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we're going to take a look at chapters 5 through 12. I'm not going to read all of them, but if you have some time this week, go back and read from 5 to 12, uh, if you've got some time. It was really, really fun to spend time in it. But in chapter 5, we see... David is essentially everything that is in front of him being king is now taken care of. But in 2 Samuel 5, verse 2, we see, and I might have this one here. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. David, as a king, is commissioned to be a shepherd. Now, the good news is that David was a shepherd. When David was chosen, he wasn't hanging out with his brothers. He was in the fields. He was a shepherd. And so it makes a lot of sense to look at the person who was chosen to be the king and say, hey, be a shepherd. He would know what that means. And I actually want us to consider what it looked like to be a shepherd. And so there's three things to kind of keep in mind. Shepherds lead with their voice and protect with their staff. So this is what I think is incredibly interesting. The sheep follow a shepherd because they know the shepherd's voice. It's not like he's sitting there with his staff moving them along. That's not how it works. They follow the shepherd because they know the shepherd's voice. The staff is to protect the sheep. That's what you use the staff for. David would have known that as a shepherd. Another thing that is true of shepherds is that they run from the rock overlooking the herd or the flock to the middle of the flock if they need to. There's this back and forth motion. They have to be able to see the whole flock, but also be able to help particular people in the flock, right? Good shepherds will do that. They'll run from the rock to the flock and back and forth. And then the third thing is the shepherd, when they're doing that, will seek to heal and restore the flock. Wherever there is pain, the shepherd moves towards it to help. Wherever there is need for protection, the shepherd shows up with the staff. That is what a shepherd looks like. David, as king, is commissioned to be a shepherd. And as far as we've seen so, so much, like, go ahead, man. You're the guy. You're the one slaying Goliath when no one else could. You're the one who's sparing Saul when that seems kind of crazy. This is the guy. So, we get to see that even more in the next few chapters. So, I'll just give a quick summary, but in chapter 7, David, in his zeal for God, says to the prophet Nathan, so already he's talking to a prophet, that's good. He says to the prophet Nathan, hey, I'm sitting here in this palace God is sitting in an ark. I should build God a house. This doesn't seem right. 
And Nathan's like, well, you know, you, you were definitely chosen by God. Go ahead. But in a dream, right, or in a vision, God essentially says to, to Nathan, hey, I need you to tell David something. Slow your roll, man. Slow your roll. Did I ask you to do that? Did I ask you to build a house for me? I did just fine in the desert in the ark. David, I'm going to build a house for you. You will have a dynasty that goes on and on. David, I'm going to build a house for you. And then what does David do when he hears this? What I believe is one of the marks of David's goodness. He listens to God, and he doesn't build him a house. He listens to God through the mouthpiece of the prophet Nathan. So, I mean, this resume is getting better and better. Chapter 8, we see David winning battle after battle after battle, which, I mean, man, if you win battles, you know you're successful. Chapter 9, we see him showing kindness to Saul's family. Now, he's doing it because of Jonathan, his dear, his dear friend, right? But the idea is Saul's family was the one chasing David, the one causing David all these problems. David is showing kindness because of Jonathan to the, to the family. I mean, come on, this guy. And then in chapter 10, we see David seeking to show kindness to someone who's shown kindness to him. David is incredible on paper. His outside is everything that you want a king's to be. But then we get to chapter 11. In chapter 11, David commits adultery with the wife of one of his soldiers with the wife of one of his soldiers. And she gets pregnant, and so David begins to try and cover that up. And when the soldiers are back, he says to his soldier, the husband of this lady, he says, go ahead, go be with her. It's just a cover-up, though. David's trying to cover up his mistake. Uriah, the soldier, doesn't do it. He says, no, 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 my, my fellow soldiers are here doing their job. I can't leave my job to go do that. And then David tries to get him drunk and have that happen. And Uriah still doesn't do it. So when the cover-up doesn't work, David has his soldier make sure that Uriah is murdered in battle, is killed in battle. Man. He looks so good on paper. Now, I wonder, and I, you know, I'm, I'm aware that some of us are sitting in this room or online or wherever you're watching, and um, you might be in the middle of discovering cover-up. Some of the things I say today They might feel insensitive. Clearly, I'm very sensitive, y'all. I can't stifle it. <laughs> they might feel insensitive. I don't mean them that way. Your hurt is very real. And so there'll be things that I say that I know to be true, but that you might not be ready for. 
and that's okay. Because it hurts a lot to be surprised by such a great downfall. It hurts a lot, especially when somebody looked so good on paper. But this is the reality. David looked good on the outside, but what's that spaghetti strand that runs through the narrative of the, of the scriptures? Inside out. Clearly, something was going wrong on the inside. And now it's showing up in full force, in traumatic ways, in ways that ruin marriages, that ruin families, that ruin communities of people. How could we have known? How could we have known? That might be the question some of us wrestle with. Well, I don't know if we could have known, and it's easier for us to see, but I think this is what's really interesting. If we look in chapter 8, David was in the battles with them. In chapter 9, he is summoning the people involved to his presence. And in chapter 10, he's just sending representatives, messengers, soldiers. He's not even, they aren't even coming to him anymore. In chapter 11, when he should go forth, we see the antonym biblically for what that is, and that is to sit. He sits. I'm not saying that those things we see are always symptoms of problems underneath. I'm just saying it's a little bit less surprising when we look at it that way. That doesn't mean we're not sad. That doesn't mean we're not hurt or frustrated. It's just a little bit less surprising. But it's still very real. It's still very real. David had forgotten to shepherd. The shepherd is supposed to run from the rock to the flock. What we see is David just stops doing that. He just stops running back and forth. You can't lead with your voice if you're too far away to do it. The reason you have to run from the rock to the flock is because your voice is what you use to lead. And when your voice doesn't work, it's no longer doing what it's supposed to do. You will turn to your rod, as David did, and you will use it in power and in destruction. And what we see is that David creates brokenness the brokenness within his flock. He has forgotten how to shepherd. But that's what he was called to do. But it doesn't go unnoticed, okay? I don't know if that's consolation, but especially if you're in the middle of it, it doesn't go unnoticed, okay? Chapter 12, I'm going to read what happens because I think this is, I mean, this is good stuff. It's hard stuff, but it's good stuff. So in chapter 12, it says, The Lord sent Nathan, so his prophet, his mouthpiece, 
right, to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought, or bought, excuse me. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over. And because he did such a thing, and he had no pity. Then David said to Nathan, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. And then a little bit later on, David, having been confronted with his wrong, having heard that parable and reacted appropriately to it, David is confronted with the the fact that he has done something horrific to his flock. And because he's done something horrific to his flock, he has hurt the God who has called him to shepherd. But then David does something that is what I believe kings and leaders must do. In verse 13, he says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He admits that he's wrong. He admits that he's wrong. When God speaks to David through Nathan, David doesn't ignore it. He admits that he's wrong. That doesn't mean that there's not an incredible hurt that has occurred. But what does a shepherd do? He heals and restores the flock. Healing will involve repentance and payment for the wrong. That's how it works. 
And so David just saying that is one thing which I think is worth noting. He's making a good choice amidst a lot of terrible ones. But even later we see that David eventually will console Bathsheba and they will be together and from that will come Solomon. David will seek restoration for the hurt he's caused because this is the reality. He has widowed her by killing her husband. Widows have a hard time in that context. I would argue they don't have an easy time in our context, but they had a really hard time in that context. David seeks to restore by making sure that Bathsheba is taken care of. And from that seeking of restoration, I believe we see a little bit of the restoration we're looking for. So, I started by saying Saul's the anti-king and David's the king. But we're sitting right here maybe, and you're like, especially if you're in the middle of it, uh, I don't know about that, man. I'm not ready for that. And I would say, fair enough. David is a good king, not because he's perfect. Clearly he's not. David is a good king because when God speaks, he listens. Even after perhaps a long time of not doing that, David is a good king because he listens to and seeks God. Now, it might be he didn't do it for a while, and there's a lot of hurt to be healed and restoration that will need to take place. It's not a short path, but David is a good king because of that. But he's not perfect. However, this series is called Make Way, and at this point, I'm not really gonna make way for David. He seems pretty cool. He's a man who's chasing God, and that seems neat. But man, does he fall hard. We're making way for Jesus, the King of Kings. Jesus, who is born in the city of David, Bethlehem. It's not a mistake that we hear that. We should hear David, because he's a king. But then who comes and celebrates Jesus' birth? Well, angels, but who do they come to in the fields? Shepherds. Because who should show up to surround the king? People who understand what it looks like to be a king. You have to shepherd. I really believe this is no coincidence that they are shepherds from Bethlehem because that's where the king came from. And that's where the king has come to, into this place. But this is where and why I would even further say, David, you sought after God. Psalm 23 is a psalm that is typically assigned to David. And it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. 
Who knows how to be a king better than shepherds? Who knows how to be a king better than God, our shepherd? And David understands that, even though he didn't do a great job of it the whole time. Now, how do we know God is a shepherd? Because he leads with his voice and he protects with his staff. His voice through priest and through prophet after prophet. He looks at his flock and he says, Israel, come back to me. God is leading with his voice and protecting with his staff where necessary. And if that wasn't good enough, God would argue it was, but if it wasn't good enough, what does he come to do? Well, he runs from the rock to the flock when he shows up in person in the town of David to live amongst the flock to remind them that you lead with your voice. Almost as if to say, oh, maybe you didn't hear me. Let me make sure you can't deny it. I'll say it with my mouth in your presence. The king is here because the shepherd is here. And remember, what does a shepherd do? He heals and restores the flock. But if there's healing, then there needs to be something to be healed. There's hurt. There is real hurt. So what does Jesus do that David could never do? He pays for the hurt because he caused none of it. David needed someone to pay for him. Jesus says, I've got you. That's not a problem for me. And he heals the flock and he restores the flock. So much so that we get this really weird thing happening where in Matthew, we looked at this earlier, right? This is, I think this is interesting to me. Look at this, right? King David, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Bro, you didn't have to say that. Why'd you have to bring that up? Why? Because we need to make sure we understand something. He might have been King David, but he sure wasn't perfect. This isn't David 2.0 in the ways we're thinking. This is a whole new thing, fulfilling a whole lot of responsibilities that shepherds in the past could not have, did not, would not. What we've got is a king of kings. And that's because we have a shepherd of shepherds. When I go to my grandparents' house, there are pictures on the wall of all of uh, our ancestors. And it's their favorite thing to do is to tell us all the stories. We don't hear too much about the whole Uriah's wife thing. That's a weird, that's a weird picture, right? Matthew, we're seeing a really strange way to play this, right? But this is the beauty of the God of Israel. He's the best tapestry weaver you've ever met. He doesn't need your perfection. He needs your heart to seek him in hope. We at Calvary, we don't need your perfection. We need your heart seeking God in hope. 
because he is the one who can weave a tapestry that we couldn't imagine, where we don't forget the fact that it was Uriah's wife, but it is healed. It is healed. And through that, good can come out of horrendous situations. Out of that thing, we get Solomon. And then from Solomon, we get to Jesus. Good can come because the great tapestry weaver doesn't need perfection. He'll take care of that. He's the best tattoo artist you've ever met. He doesn't need blank skin. He can turn teardrops into butterflies. Teardrops into butterflies. That is the God we worship. And people who lead you in that, we are called to be shepherds. To run from the rock to the flock. To make sure that you're heard. To make sure that if we have caused hurt, that we are seeking healing. But let me plead with you deeply. My life is a demonstration that God is a great tapestry weaver. And I'm thankful that I chose to lean into that. Calvary, would you take the role of Nathan when you need to and help us hear the voice of God when we as leaders forget? When we have caused hurt that needs to be healed. Would you do that? Because we are doing our very best to shepherd, but even the best king we know about couldn't do it. Thank the Lord there's a king of kings who says, I've got it. I've got you. There's healing, there's restoration. Follow me. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift that you've given us of leading with your voice in clarity, in grace, and in love. And Lord, we thank you that you show up in the most beautiful of ways to lead with your voice in an undeniable sense. We thank you that you are the great tapestry weaver, that you can weave us back in no matter how broken the story. Lord, I pray that wherever people are in this journey and however broken their story might be, that you would arrive in the very real ways and that you would help them to see that it's never too broken. We just need a heart that is seeking reconnection, is seeking to be woven in. God, we thank you that you weave us well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.